This is Ann Graham Lotz. He is committed to you. You know that? The blood of Jesus tells us that. And he relents from sending calamity. Welcome, and thanks for joining us today for Living in the Light with our Bible teacher, Ann Graham Lotz. Ann concludes part two in her message from Joel chapter two, Keep Watching the Hours. And beginning with Joel 2, verse 11, here now is Anne. The Lord thunders at the head of his army. His forces are beyond number. Mighty are those who obey his command. The day of the Lord is great. It is dreadful. Who can endure it? The Lion of Judah has risen up. And he's saying, I've had enough. And I'm going to set the wrong right. And I'm going to deal with evil once and for all. So Zephaniah chapter 1 describes it this way. The great day of the Lord is near, near and coming quickly. The cry on the day of the Lord is bitter. And this is in caps. The mighty warrior shouts his battle cry. And people today think God is too old. Maybe he's dead. Maybe he just doesn't care. Maybe he doesn't get involved anymore. Maybe there's no God at all. Well, just you wait. That day will be a day of wrath, a day of distress and anguish, a day of trouble, ruin, darkness, gloom, a day of clouds and blackness, a day of trumpet and battle cry against the fortified cities, against the corner towers. This is what God says. I will bring such distress on all people. They will grope about like those who are blind because they have sinned against the Lord. Neither their silver nor their gold will be able to save them on the day of the Lord's wrath. And I think of people today who just about sell their souls, sell their positions, sell their access just to amass more and more money. And on that day, it doesn't make any difference at all. No amount of money, no army, nothing can withstand the day of the Lord. When he moves, nothing can stand in his way. And 2 Kings chapter 17 The Lord was very angry with that northern kingdom of Israel, as I told you. And it said that the Lord was very angry with Israel, and he removed them from his presence. And 2 Kings 24 says about the nation of Judah, it was because of the Lord's anger that all this happened to Jerusalem and Judah, and in the end, he thrust them from his presence. He said he he wiped them clean like a plate and turned it upside down. Just put them out of his sight. Listen to me. If he would do that to Israel, the northern kingdom, and Judah, the southern kingdom, whom he loved, the direct descendants of Abraham, if he would do that to them because of their sin, their rebellion, their defiance, their wickedness, their evil, their idolatry, why would you and I think America would escape? Why would you and I think that our world would escape? Romans 8.28 says what? That all things, even those unpleasant things, those harbingers, those disasters, those uncomfortable things, all things work together for good to those who are called according to his purpose and who love the Lord. And, And your good is not necessarily your health, wealth, prosperity, and happiness. You know that. Your ultimate good is to be conformed to the image of Jesus. And so he'll take everything that happens in your life and mold you into a replica of his son. So God is moving. He's moving in our world. He's moving in our nation. Maybe he's moving in your life. But at the same time God is on the move, he's offering mercy. Oh, our God is so beyond wonderful, isn't he? (laughs) And Habakkuk 3.2 
says, O Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, O Lord, in wrath, remember mercy. And I just got to thinking about that. You know, when Adam and Eve sinned and God found them cowering in the bushes and they covered themselves with fig leaves and, and God sent judgment on them and he judged them for what they had done, but he promised them that I'm going to send you the seed of a woman who will, his heel will be bruised, but he'll crush the serpent. He was promising them a savior. And then just as sort of an audio visual, he killed an animal and clothed them with skin so that blood was shed so that they could be clothed and covered in their guilt and their sin. And in wrath, he remembered mercy. And then I think of Noah when he was walking with God and God said, no, I'm going to destroy the whole world. It's wicked. It's evil. All of their thoughts, all of their actions, all the time, nothing but wickedness. I'm going to judge the world. I'm going to send a flood. But in wrath, he remembered mercy and he had Noah build an ark for the salvation of anybody who would come into that ark. And then we have Israel down in Egypt. And it's a dramatic picture of that when God sent the ten plagues to try to force Pharaoh to let his people go. And you come to the last one. Pharaoh wouldn't. He, he, just, he would relent and then he would take it back. And finally he said, I'm not going to do it. And so God sent the worst plague of all. He sent the angel of death throughout Egypt. And the firstborn of every family, all the livestock, everything, was killed, died that night unless... They took the blood of a lamb and put it on the doorpost. And if their family or whoever that was, was underneath the blood of the lamb, then they were saved because in wrath, God remembers mercy. And then we have Jericho. Remember we talked about that when Joshua was straddling right in the entrance they wanted to take in the promised land, the children of Israel, as they came out of the wilderness. And they marched around Jericho one time a day for a week on the seventh day, they marched seven times around. The seventh time, they blew the trumpet. They shouted. The walls came down. Judgment fell on Jericho, except for one little portion of the wall and a house that was on top and a little red cord that was dangling, Rahab's house, because Rahab had wanted to belong to the people of God. She wanted their God to be her God. And she had told the spies, I'll, I'll save you if you will save me. And God, in wrath, remembered Rahab. And have mercy. And Abraham, I told you the story about Sodom. When he prayed for Sodom, and there weren't even ten righteous there, and God poured out his wrath on Sodom and poured out the fire and brimstone, but he remembered Abraham's prayer, and in wrath he remembered mercy, and he dragged Lot and his family out of Sodom. And you can just go on through, all the way through Scripture again and again and again. In wrath, God remembers mercy. Even when he destroyed Judah and Jerusalem, he saved Daniel, Meshach, Shadrach, Abednego, Ezekiel, Esther, and different ones he saved. In wrath, he remembered mercy, and he saved that remnant so that they could go back one day and rebuild. So our God is offering mercy. He's on the move, but he offers mercy. Even now, he says in verse 12, even now, even now, at this late stage, even Now, this is the hour to respond to his mercy. And he says, even now declares the Lord. Who is the Lord? He's the one who's in charge. (laughs) He's the one that's at the head of the army. He's the one who's calling the shots. He's the one who is bringing all this judgment on us. And he's the one who says, even now declares the Lord. You can turn to me. So 
return in verse 12. Return to me with all of your hearts. So what does that mean? And I'm just going to give it a simple application. If turning to God is turning to him in prayer, then returning to him, I think, is reactivating your prayer life. To return to him. How's your prayer life? I mean, how is it really? I think it's time to return to him. And he says, not only return to him, but fast when you do. In verse 12, with fasting and weeping and mourning. And fasting, as I shared with you, is just going without anything and everything to make time to get alone with God. When was the last time you got alone with God? Poured out your heart for America. Poured out your heart for your family. Poured out your heart for your unsaved neighbor. Those that God used in Scripture, in a powerful way, all had that in common. They spent time alone with God. Jesus said, when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray. Get alone with God. And he did. Noah was alone with God when God revealed that judgment was coming and how he could offer salvation to his generation. Abraham was alone with God when he received the promise that God would bless him and bless his descendants. And Jacob was alone with God when he struggled with God. Do you remember? And God broke him and he yielded his life to God and became a prince who had power with God because somebody who has power with God is someone who's totally yielded to God. Moses was alone with God when he heard God speaking to him from the burning bush. And then in Exodus 34, when he said, God, show me your glory. And God said, come up here. And he put him in the cleft of a rock all by himself. And said, you can see the backs. I'll pass by. You can see the backside. Sometimes God puts us in a hard place, removes his hands, so we feel abandoned. But we look back and we see he was there all along. We see the glory in retrospect, don't we? He was alone when he saw that. Joshua was alone with God when God came and told him how to overcome the enemy's stronghold. Gideon was alone when God called him to deliver his people. Elijah was alone on Mount Carmel when he prayed for rain and God sent it and broke that drought. He was alone with God in the cave when he recalled him to ministry. Elisha was alone with God when he prayed for the widow's dead son and raised him to life. Peter was alone with God when he had a vision to take the gospel to the Gentiles at Cornelius' house. Saul of Tarsus was alone with God for three years when he was transformed into the Apostle Paul. John the Apostle was alone on Patmos when he had the vision of the glory of Jesus. Do you get it? What are you and I missing? And I've asked myself that up there this week. God, what have I missed because I'm not spending time alone with you? Life is so busy, isn't it? Busy, busy, busy. Now we've got emails and cell phones and all these other things that make life Convenient, yes, but they also make us so much busier, and I think there's an enemy behind that. Keeping us so busy, we have no time to be quiet and alone before God, and when we do, we're so tired, we fall asleep. So, what are you missing? Because you're not spending time alone with God. Are you missing the insight he would give you on how to reach your unsaved family member? Are you missing the promise he wants to give you for your children? Are you missing some recall into ministry service? Are you missing just the fellowship of being with him and knowing in the midst of the darkness and the gloom and the judgment and the oppression and the agitation, the sweetness of his presence and the comfort and the peace and the strength that he can give you? Don't miss what he wants to give you because you don't spend time alone with me. And I'm speaking to myself too. 
If you want to prepare, I saw one of those questions that how do we prepare for all this that's coming? You prepare by getting right with God and drawing near to God, opening up your heart to God, asking God to use you in this generation, making yourself available to him. So return to him. What happens when you do? Verse 13, when you return to him, it says... He will be gracious and bless you in a way you don't deserve. Compassionate. That's the love a mother has for a child. Slow to anger. Just patient even when he saw so much sin in my life and had been blessing me and blessing me. But then he was saying, Ann, we've got to deal with this. This is becoming a blockage and bless me in ways I don't deserve. Abounding in love. Overflowing with that covenant-keeping loyalty to you. He is committed to you. You know that? The blood of Jesus tells us that. And he relents from sending calamity. Look at that. If we return to him, if we rend our hearts, he would, would he relent? In other words, oh my goodness, Anne, I'm so relieved. I didn't want to judge you. <laughs> I didn't want to move in such an unpleasant way in your life. I just want you to Rend your heart. Return to me. Now that you have, I want to pour out my blessing. I relent. I'm relieved. I don't have to take it all the way. And I think he would be the same in America. He would be the same in our world if we would turn it. Maybe if just God's people would humble themselves and pray and seek God's face and turn from our wicked ways. Would he relent? Be relieved that he didn't have to judge America because he has us standing in the gap for her. We won't know until we return to him and rend our hearts. So I think revival is possible, but it comes with a very high price. And the price is a broken heart and a changed life that you follow through on the things that he puts in your heart. The things he's spoken to you about so far, you follow through, you rend your heart. Are you willing to pay the price? So, I don't know what yesterday was like in your life, but this is the hour now to return to him, rend your heart, get right with him. And then, in verse 17, look at this. It's very subtle. I'm going to skip the rest of the verses for time, but let the priests who minister before the Lord weep between the temple porch and the altar. Do you know where that was between the temple porch and the altar? That was the way of the sacrifices. That's where sacrifices were made. And he was saying the priests were leading the people weeping, mourning for their own sin, leading the people back to the place of sacrifice. For you and me, that's you and me as leaders. If you're a parent, you're a leader. If you're a Sunday school teacher, you're a leader. Pastor, you're a leader. Leading the people by our own example back to the cross. That's the answer for today. That God's people would return to him and that we would rend our hearts and that we would come back to the cross and recall other people to come to the cross for cleansing, for reconciliation with God, for forgiveness, to get right with him, to get right with each other. And we set the example as we weep and mourn for our sin and we come back to the cross, they see us and they follow and they come back. So... I think it's time for God's people to respond to the mercy that he offers. 
the light in the darkness. And our world is getting darker and darker and darker. The evil is coming in like a flood, like that locust plague. It's coming in, it's seeping in the corners, the homes, every aspect, every segment of our culture and our society and our world. And the light in the darkness is that God is on the move. And yes, the day of the Lord is coming. Judgment is coming slowly, but surely, severely. In the end, there'll be no turning back. But now, this is the hour. He's offering his mercy. Would you respond by making the commitment to return to him, reactivate a serious, intentional, time alone with God prayer life? Rend your heart. Ask God to search your heart and show you the things that need to be forgiven. If you've been to the cross, he's not going to hold you accountable for the guilt of those things. I I knew I was forgiven, okay? But the sin in my life was a blockage to the flow of the Spirit and the power that he wanted to give me and the way he wanted to use me and it kept me from sweet fellowship with him and it kept me feeling on the inside heavy, sort of. I didn't even know that until he released me of it and then I felt light and refreshed and invigorated and filled with joy and blessing and, and that's what he wants for you. So would you respond to his mercy by returning to him, rending your heart, and then, by your own example, recall people to the cross. Give out the gospel. This is the hour to share Jesus with somebody else. I'm going to read you some of these sins in this list. And and there's so many other ones. Oh my goodness, you know, but these are the ones that's Many of these are ones that God convicted me of. Ingratitudes. When you think of all the favors that God has given before and after salvation, which ones have you forgotten to thank him for? Have you lost real love for God? So is there evidence that you're lessening in your love for Jesus? Neglect of Bible reading. Double check to see if daily Bible reading has been pushed aside by an overfull schedule, or if as you read your Bible, you're constantly preoccupied with other things. How long has it been since reading your Bible was a delight? You read it so casually, you don't even remember what it said when you finish. Unbelief. Refusing to believe or to expect that he will give you what he has promised is to accuse him of lying. What promise do you think he will not give you? What prayer do you think he will not answer? Neglect of prayer. Prayers are not spiritual chatter offered without fervent focused faith. Have you been substituting, wishing, daydreaming, thinking, fantasizing for real prayer? Lack of concern for the souls of others. You stand by and watch friends, neighbors, co-workers, and even family members on their way to hell, yet you don't care enough to warn them or pray for them or even admit that's where they will end up if they don't put their faith in Jesus. Have you become so politically correct you don't apply the gospel to those you know and love? Neglect of family. You put yourself and your needs before theirs. What effort are you making? What habit 
have you established for your family's spiritual good when it requires your personal sacrifice? Love of the world and material things? Evaluate what you own. Do you think it's yours? That your money is yours? That you can spend it or dispose of it the way you want? Pride? Do you think you're better, more important than somebody else? Envy? Are you jealous of those who seem more fruitful or gifted or recognizable than you are? Do you struggle when you hear somebody else praised? Critical spirits. You have some discernment, but you use it to find fault with others who don't measure up to your standards. Slander. You tell the truth with the intention of causing people to think less of that person. Whose faults, real or imagined, have you discussed behind their backs? Why? Lack of seriousness about the things of God. You show him disrespect by the way you sleep through your prayer time or show up late for church as though he doesn't really matter. You give him the leftovers of your emotions, your time, your thoughts, your money. Lying, designed deception, anything that is contrary to the unvarnished truth. What have you said that was designed to impress someone that was not the whole truth or was an exaggeration of the truth? Hypocrisy. Are you pretending to be something that you're not? Are you pretending to be anything you're not? Robbing God. Are you wasting your time on things that have no eternal value, exercising your God-given gifts and talents for a fee? What are you not doing for God that you're willing to do for others for a price? Temper. Losing patience with a child, co-worker, friend, spouse, staff member? What cross words have you spoken lately? A bad temper. Losing control of your emotions, thoughts, and words so that you abuse someone else verbally. Have you lost your temper? Arrogance. Accepting God's forgiveness while refusing to forgive yourself or someone else. And the list goes on and on. Some of those may be yours, none of them may be yours, all of them may be yours. You can make your own list. I just have this sense that there's somebody here, maybe more than one person, but I know there's one person here who is resisting the Holy Spirit. And you're rationalizing and excusing the fact that you got by with your sin yesterday and you'll get by with it today and you're going to get by with it tomorrow and that this is all hype and you don't believe it. And I'm praying for you. You're not promised the next hour. This is the hour. Now is the day of salvation. Right now. Turn to God. Repent of your sin. Come to the cross. Now. And if you would choose to do that, words aren't as important as just the sincerity in your heart. Oh God, I'm a sinner. And I'm sorry. And I come to the cross tonight by faith, confessing that I'm a sinner 
Believing Jesus died for me. The blood of the lamb smeared on the doorpost of my heart. And I place myself under his blood so that I escape the day of the Lord that's coming. I escape the judgment that's going to fall on me if I'm not under his blood. So I ask you to forgive me, to cleanse me, to come into my heart. Now here's Anne with this final word. It's just a simple prayer, but you have to repent. You have to turn away from your sin. Be willing to put it out of your life. He will help you. Thank you for joining us today for this powerful message for this generation at just the right time. Plan to join us each week for another in-depth study from God's Word. And don't forget, there are always free resources for your own study of the Bible at angramlots.org.